The life of Isaiah, which we're going to find out, especially next week when we talk about Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, which is a prophetic word of what Jesus would go through, we understand that this prophet, Isaiah, points everything to Jesus. And so he's, an, he's a very important um, character in the Bible that I feel we need two weeks to really talk about. But I believe Isaiah sets the tone in something for us as believers that is very, very important, and, that, and, and, and especially what we're talking about today, and it's this idea of, of holiness. Now, before we get to it, I feel it's proper, again, if we're trying to understand the Bible within a year, that we give you some, some information on each king or each prophet or each character so we can know where they're coming from. Now, Isaiah, whose name means, you're gonna love this, is Yahweh is salvation. That right there should tell you that the life of Isaiah is pointing to Jesus. He's best known for writing the book which bears his name, which is the book of Isaiah. You guys are sharp. Okay, cool. His writings um, are especially significant for the prophecies that he made about the coming Messiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It's interesting that in the New Testament, there are more quotes from Isaiah than any other prophet in the Bible. So when you go to the New Testament, Isaiah, he has a voice in there. Now, though Isaiah's recognition as a great prophet is indicated in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, some would also believe that he was also a priest because it's probable that his calling took place inside of the temple which was an area reserved for only priests. So some would say he was a prophet and that he was a priest. We know that he served in the southern kingdom of Judah over the reign of four different kings. So he had influence in what God would speak to him into the lives of four different ones. At the time of his ministry, uh, Judah was a very sinful and a very unjust nation. So as we see in the Bible, and it's worth repeating, if not all of the time, the prophets are always within a kingdom that is not serving God. And they're speaking on behalf of God. Isaiah finds himself there too. However, Isaiah believed that Judah was God's chosen nation and that they would be vindicated by God. I think we know that to be true because the lion of the tribe of Judah, we know Jesus is going to stem out of that tribe. So I think Isaiah, understanding that, yes, Judah was a very wicked place. They were ungodly. He never gave up on this place because he knew, again, he prophesied, and we'll see that next week, Jesus is coming from this tribe. So while everybody's probably giving up on Judah, kings are giving up on Judah, people are giving up on Judah, Isaiah is the voice that says, no, 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 we're not giving up on this one because something powerful is gonna take place. We learn from his writings that he had unswerving faithfulness and humility towards God. I know I say this every time we talk about a prophet or someone in the Bible. His life, this week, if you have some time, or matter of fact, make some time. His life of faithfulness and humility to God is something that could speak to every generation, including ours. How many of you guys know our world could probably use a little bit of humility? Yeah, yeah. got little, like, that was like a, yes. <laughs> we live in a very prideful, prideful world. In addition, this is what I love about Isaiah, which I think is powerful as well. His ministry was characterized by his closeness with other godly men 
like Micah in King Hezekiah. It's almost as if Isaiah knew that there was no way he could do the assignment that God gave him by himself, that he needed strong people around him to accomplish the task that God had given him. This isn't part of the notes, it's not a part of the lesson, but it's the same for you and I. If we're gonna accomplish anything that God has asked us to accomplish, there is no way we're gonna do this on our own. If you wanna be a great man of God or woman of God, you need godly men and godly women in your life to help push you to what you need to be. You need people in your life that you can process up to. We spoke about this on Wednesday night at our, at our small group Wednesday. We said, listen, if you're lying on the ground defeated by life, it's gonna do you no good, sorry camera, to look over to find somebody else on the ground and say, hey, got any advice for me here? They're on the ground too. What you need in your life is you need people in your life that are a step above you, that have lived some life, that have done some things to say, hey, I know why you could have been thinking that, but I experienced this, or better yet, I actually read something in God's word. I got a word for you today that could speak in there. You gotta process up. So if you want your marriage to be great, find a marriage that has stood the test of time and say, how do I have a great marriage? I'll tell you what it involves, a lot of compromise. If you don't like that word, a lot of forgiveness. We talk about humility. You're gonna get humbled real quick. If you wanna be a better parent, process up. You wanna be better at your job, process up. Better with your money, process up. You've got to find someone in your life like Isaiah did that said, okay, if I'm gonna do what God's called me to do, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna process up. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we do need some people to look over that we're living life with to say, man, that sure didn't feel good. You know what? I know we don't talk about this a lot, but you do need someone in your life that you can have a pity party with every once in a while. You know what I mean? That you can just say, hey, and just boy, let it all out. It's pretty good. You need it at times. But you also need someone, hear me, that's not impressed with who you are that will tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. We don't really like that one, do we? The greatest person for helping you develop is a person who says, I don't care how good you are on paper or how long you've been doing this. While I celebrate it, I'll celebrate that God has done good things, but I'm not impressed with you. Have you noticed that when you're impressed with someone and always looking up to someone, you sometimes don't say what they need to hear? So you need to have somebody right that says, love you enough to tell you, hey, you need to do this better. Hey, I saw the way you talked to your, your wife right there. You were kind of short with your kids right there. Hey, you know what? You didn't, you didn't look too many people in the eye. Did you know you were having a conversation with someone and you were so checked out because you were just like this the whole time they were talking? You need people in your life that say, hey, you, you can do better. Now, don't look at me in that tone of voice. I'm, I'm only giving you those bits of advice because, man, that's, I've had people in my life do the same deal. It's, it's good for us. I think Isaiah shows us that. Isaiah shows us that, man, you got to have closeness with other people that love God to help you. Can I just be, I don't know why I say, can I just be honest? Of course you want me to be honest. When's the last time you had someone in your life that challenged you with this? Hey, what scripture did you memorize this week? Hey, when's the last time you prayed for someone? You know what I mean? Like the tough questions that we don't talk about too much. Would you, would you read in your Bible today? What was God speaking to you? 
Man, I tell you, those things make you better. Those things push you towards godliness. Oh, matter of fact, today we're talking about those things push you towards holiness. But that's a tricky word, isn't it? What does holiness mean? Bible's got the answer for it. I think it's pretty good. I think we can determine that Isaiah was a very godly prophet. And there are things that we can learn from reading the book. But here's where we're going to end today or start today. We're going to talk on holiness. Now, when I say the word holy, here's what comes to mind for a lot of people. Oh, it's a church thing. Have you ever talked to a, a person who doesn't go to church? And like say to them, hey, what do you think the word holy means? They'll probably say something, well, isn't that kind of like maybe like a church building, like it's a, it's a holy place? Yeah, have, you, have you noticed that when you go to Israel, you don't really say, hey, I'm going to Israel? You say, hey, I'm going to the holy land? Now, I, I got some friends in my life, they think LA is the holy land because of the Lakers and the Dodgers and they're reigning with NBA titles, Pastor Joe, if you're watching right now. No, 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 the holy land is Israel. But we refer to things as as holy, we, we tie those things. Now, it's a funny sounding word because simply people don't understand it. What exactly is holiness? And here's the truth, if they do understand it, they kinda don't like it. Because holiness has the ability to push up against things that you might like to do that aren't so godly. Have you noticed that? So when holiness pushes up against something that I enjoy and I like, one person said this, they said, well, you know, sin isn't fun. And I mean this respectfully, I'm like, well, then you weren't doing it right. <laughs> you guys like that one, don't you? Sin feels good or else we wouldn't do it. You're not tempted to do something you don't like or something that doesn't make you feel good. But what happens is, is when something in the Bible or something a pastor or, or an apostle or a preacher or a teacher or I don't know, even sometimes your godly friends, when it pushes up against something that you enjoy doing and it starts to press into your holiness, what happens is it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's between me and God. And sometimes God sounds exactly like your friend. If you're married, sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds just like your spouse. What I'm trying to say is, is what happens is we don't understand holiness. It reminds me of this, this story of this minister who went to a yard sale and there was a lawnmower for sale. And he bought it because it looked okay and um, it was a good price. So he went back and he got it and he took it home and he made sure that he had all that he needed. Did it have gas? Yes, it's got gas. Does it have a spark plug? Yes, it's got a spark plug. Does it have some oil? Yep, it's got some oil. Is the rope in good condition? Yep, it's in good condition. So that minister took it. He was gonna mow the churchyard and he starts pulling on that cord. It ain't starting. It looked apart. It had everything it needed, but it just wasn't starting. You ever been there before? You ever been frustrated with that? Everything's good. So he goes back to the guy that he, that he bought it from to the yard sale and he says, look, he goes, I paid really, really good money for this lawnmower, but it doesn't work. And the man who sold it to him, he said this, he says, well, just go with me, don't get mad at me. He says, that's because you have to curse for this thing to work. It's a response. And he kind of looked at him and said, well, he goes, look, uh, don't you know that I'm a, I'm a minister? I'm the man of the cloth. I, I, 
don't even remember the word. I don't remember how to do that. This guy literally says this. He smiles and he looks at the minister and he says, hey, just keep pulling that rope, Reverend. It'll come back to you. It'll come back to you. It's the point of the story. Have you, have you seen in your life how things just seem to come back to you in moments when you're frustrated? Your holiness begins to get checked on. It'll come back to you whether you want it to or not. See, all of us are capable of saying things that aren't good, that are unwholesome. But by God's grace, amen? By God's grace, we can do the things that are great because of one trait. This is where I'm going. Holiness. Look at your neighbor and say, be holy. Now look at the other neighbor that you completely disregarded and say, you be holy. And if you're sitting in a row and there's no neighbor, start talking to yourself. It works. All right, Isaiah 6.1. says, in the year that King Uzziah died, remember that, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, it filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Three times is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by a voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, remember this is Isaiah, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Translation, he had a language problem. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, then the one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. This is a very visual passage of scripture. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken from you. Your sin is purged. Already Isaiah is starting to sound just like the gospel. You got an issue? I've touched it. Your sin and iniquity is gone. All the way from Isaiah 61. We haven't even got to Isaiah 53 next week. Isaiah is seeing something that God's trying to show him. Verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. If you haven't already got this already, write this down. God is holy. He's a holy God. Respectfully, he's not the big man up in the sky. He's holy. This is going to be a hard message for some. Because when we're talking about God's holiness, it's probably his most unpopular attribute. Because most of us would rather not dwell on God's holiness. Watch. There's other characteristics that we would rather dwell on. Like his love, his mercy, his compassion, his presence, his power. All of those sound good. And in our culture, 
That's what we've preached. He's a God of love, and he's a God of mercy, and he's a God of grace. Of course he is. But friends, hear me. He's also a God who is holy. He's a holy God. His holiness, though, could be a little daunting. Here's what we need to know. Holiness is God's most noted attribute. In the Bible, it's his most known attribute. Of all the things God has called in Scripture, he is called holy most often. In the book of Isaiah, 30 times the prophet refers to God as the Holy One. In the whole Bible, the word holy, 637 times. Holiness is referred to. So today I want to give you three points plus a bonus one, which will equal four. We're in for something today, Dave. Four things from the, from the chapter, from the verses that we just read in Isaiah 6. Four ways in which God's holiness, watch here, should affect us. If God is holy and God has said, be holy for I am holy, we have something to do. Now hear me real quick. God would never ask you to do something that he would not give you the ability, the wisdom, and the understanding to go after. People would say, well, be holy like God? Think about the statement. God says, be holy for I am holy. He's God. Does that sound unobtainable to anybody else in this room but me? If you're watching online, give me a thumbs up. God is asking me to be holy like he is. It's daunting. But if he's asking you to do it, don't you think he'll help you do it? Is he a good God? Is he a good father? Okay, so he will. So if that's the case, there's four things that his holiness does. We're gonna go right through these. Four ways that God's holiness should affect us. Number one, we have to know that holiness is separation. Before we can understand how this works, we gotta understand what it is. So when God says be holy, what does it mean? It means I'm separated. Separated from what? Separated from the ways of this world. Meaning when I read God's word and God pushes me towards holiness, what is he really doing? He's taking you out from the way that culture is, that the world is, and he's saying you actually need to be separate from them. Notice we are told in verse one, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now here's what we need to know. King Uzziah was the king of Judah. And at the time he had reigned politically, ready for this? 52 years this man ruled. And here's the great part. We've only seen this a few times in our story. For 52 years, this king did it right. He loved God. And so for 52 years, the people felt stabilized. They had a good leader, a godly leader. But now all of a sudden, he's dead. So if you're the prophet Isaiah or you're a person within Judah, you're going, wait a minute, while we had a good leader in place, everything was good, but we have a track record of kings in the past that didn't do it right. This could get really bad. Isaiah knew that. He knew that this was gonna be a troubling time for the nation. We know that because if you go back to Isaiah chapter five, we see that everything is really starting to fall apart. It's deteriorating. Isaiah knows this. So he could have had thoughts like, "Uh uh-oh, we're sunk. You ever seen that before? 
The throne's empty. Who's going to lead our nation now? There's no one on the throne of Israel. But remember, Isaiah 6.1, in the year that King Uzziah died, what does Isaiah say? He says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Oh, it got quiet. Okay. God's on the throne. Do you believe it or do you not? I got to go a different way here. God's on the throne. I once heard a leader say this. He said, God rules the universe with his feet up. Like, pastor, are you saying God's like in a lazy boy with a lipped and iced tea saying everything's going to be all right? I mean, if it's sweet tea. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. Okay, so let's just bring this to us. Is the world dark right now? Do we have issues politically, culturally, between one another? Are people living in fear, worry, doubt? Come on, you can be vocal with me. Are they or are they not? Okay, cool. Guess what God's doing? He's up in heaven sitting on his throne with his feet up. As if to say, hey, I got this. Don't panic, don't worry, don't stress, don't fret. It's going to be all right. Now, what we do is we want to kind of assume what God would be doing. Like, hey, God, do you see what's going on here? Things are not good. You need me to step in? I'm going to step in. God's going, I'm God, you're not. And so what happens is we know this to be true. Go scroll Facebook for a little bit. Everybody wants to speak into everybody else's situation. I call them keyboard warriors. That's what I call them. I'll be honest with you, some of them are dangerous because they wouldn't have that conversation with you face to face, would they? Now, now, now we, we've probably all been there. We've seen something posted. Woo, we're sweating bullets on our phone right there. I'm gonna respond to this person right now. I'm gonna tell them they're wrong. I'm gonna just sit right here. I'm gonna create a fake account so they don't know it's me and I'm gonna tell them what's right, what's wrong. Oh my goodness gracious. While it's such a powerful tool, it's so destructive. And God the whole time is going like, it's actually going to be okay. I mean, again, Isaiah is pointing to Jesus coming. Friends, can we just have a real moment? Come on, you and I right here. You and I watching online. Just gaze right into these eyes right here. Right here. Are you looking? Get up close to the TV. Take your phone. Pop it right here. Look here. We would zoom in, but the cameras are set in place. They're not going anywhere. Just have no fun. Why are you worried? And why do you care so much about what so-and-so thinks, what so-and-so says that contradicts God's word and God's plan over your life? Stop wasting your time. If you have to, delete that account. Better yet, you can unfollow people. Here's the great part. They don't even know it. It's really good. Now, if you really want to prove a point, then you can unfriend them. But if you just want to unfollow them, guess what your feed will be full of? People that you actually want to associate with. It's really awesome. I know I'm being funny, but I want you to hear me. God the whole time is sitting up going, I got this. Is God God? So let him be God. Are you God? So stop trying to be God. The whole time he's just sitting back, I'm good. All right, let's move on to verse three, Isaiah six. And one cried out to another and said, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, what's holy mean? It's very simple. It means to be cut off in the Hebrew. We said this a minute ago. Holiness, separation. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are different. Notice I did not say we are weird. I said we are different. Come on, we don't like weird. We get away from weird. What we do like is different. That's why when you understand your place and your position as a believer and you step up and speak up when it's time, there will be people around you that will go, what is it about them? I want what they got. It's coming today, friends, when us being different is gonna speak volumes into our world. So let's not give up, not freak out, not worry about what's going on. God's holy, he's on the throne. Now notice the word holy three times. Whenever something in the Hebrew culture was emphasized three times, it was for emphasis. Meaning, pay attention. God is saying, at the core of my character, I am holy. God is holy. And this is the only attribute, by the way, of God, the only attribute that there is given a threefold repetition. Holy. I believe, respectfully, that this trait in the church, in the world, this trait of God's holiness has been put aside. And I honestly believe with all of my heart that if people of God would press into God's holiness, that they would press into the holiness that God is bringing out of them, you wouldn't have to convince people to serve God. You wouldn't have to convince people to go to church to pray, to believe God big. They want to press into his holiness. God is holy, amen? amen? Number two, holiness magnifies unholiness. So when I press into holiness, it affects me because it magnifies the unholiness in my life. You see, when you come into contact with somebody like God who is holy, it does something to you. Look at verse five. So I said, woe is me. Everyone say woe. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, he's saying in the Hebrew, there's no hope for me. Isaiah, the man of God, the prophet, is literally saying right here, when he sees God holy, he says, ah, I'm not good enough. Isn't that daunting a little bit? I mean, Isaiah is like a hero of the faith. And he's like, man, it's doomed. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why did he say that? Because in seeing God, Isaiah saw himself. When I see God for his holiness, it magnifies my unholiness. And it brings me to the place where I have to say, hey God, I need to clean this up. Do you wanna know why God cleans up things in our lives? So that we can be closer to him. From beginning to end, God just wants a relationship with you. That's it. Sin separated man from God. From the very beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelations, it's all about God saying, please come back and be around me. But God cannot coexist with unholiness. It's gotta be dealt with. So, so Isaiah sees in himself. It's like this, okay? I might be speaking of myself here, although I didn't win yesterday. It's like me saying, hey, I'm a great golfer. 
until I golf with Tiger Woods. And I discover I'm really not that good. Does that make sense? It's like saying, okay, I was pretty good at baseball in my college days until I played baseball with Babe Ruth and discover I'm not good. When you get around someone better, it magnifies weaknesses in you, shortcomings in you. Max Lucuto put it this way. He says, you don't impress the officials at NASA with a paper airplane. You don't boast about your crayon sketches in the presence of Picasso. Holiness magnifies the things in my life that God says, I want you to to deal with that. As Nate comes and we get ready to close. That's why I cringe sometimes in speaking of God's holiness. I cringe when a person will say to me, you know what, when I get up to heaven, I'm gonna have a talk with God. I'll be honest, I kind of step away from that person. As if to say, I'm gonna get up to heaven and tell God something that disappointed me. Or I'm gonna tell God how he should have done this better. Me and God, we're gonna have a sit down. Everyone look at me real quick. Like John in the Bible, when you see God and his holiness, you're as dead as on the ground. God's holiness is powerful. Years ago, this is just a story that I, that I heard, but from a man that I, I trusted. He said one time he was in a service and a little girl, she was deaf. She couldn't hear. And for years and years, she had been brought to church and prayed over and prayed upon and she's still deaf and one time he was at this service and the little girl was brought to him and through the interpretation of the mother he was told that she was deaf and she's never spoken a word ever and so in that moment there was faith in that room and God was in that room And they prayed for that little girl. And as the music was playing behind them and the the volume was going up, when that little girl was prayed for, her ears, they opened. And for the very first time, this little girl yelled the words, Mama. And when she said the word Mama, the mom that was in the room screeched and yelled so loud that it brought the whole place to a stop. And that mom fell to her feet because her daughter had been healed of being deaf and had never spoken a word. And the minister that day said the holiness of God, the anointing of God was so thick in that place that he found a piano over in the corner and he went and he hid underneath it. Because of a holy fear, a good fear, that God's holiness was in that place. I'm gonna tell you right now, the greatest musicians, the greatest lighting, the greatest technology, the greatest advertising, the greatest social media pages, the greatest websites that you can build will never compare to a God who moves within a place and changes people's lives. It never will. 
That's why as believers, we have a job and we have a role to reach our world, to speak into it, to get them into places, whether it's around us or in our homes or in a building where we come together to worship, that God himself might just show up in his holiness and his power and set people free. I've said this for years. The greatest advertisement for any church in the United States or around the world for that matter is the moving of the Holy Spirit and God's anointing. And I'm telling you, when it hits, it changes lives. But friends, I want to encourage you. Be holy for I am holy. Deal with the things in your life that are unholy. Number three, holiness requires purification. Isaiah 6, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with that and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. God dealt with the sin in the life of Isaiah. Why? Because it required purification. Either God must destroy that which is unholy or else God must somehow remove the sin. And this happens to be the whole story of the Bible from front to back. God saying, I'm going to deal with the sin. We took communion today. God says, I'll deal with the sin. Here's Jesus. He's purging our sins. He's purifying us. He's taking it away. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message for you and I here today. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're purified. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ has also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit.